Hello and welcome back to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation Podcast with Brant Pasalakwa, founder of the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation School. In this podcast, we answer our students' questions and share information about yoga therapy and meditation with the intention of creating a new paradigm in wellness. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's dive into the show. Om Shanti, Om Peace, welcome. So this is the first lesson on the Prana Maya Kosha, our second layer, our second Kosha. So the name is Prana Maya Kosha, Prana being the life force, which we'll talk about. Uh, Kosha, referring to that it's another layer or sheath. And the Maya refers to, or is a reminder, that our um, experiences that these Koshas sometimes shield us from seeing our Atman or our true self. But of course, um, it's also our experience. So I think the first thing to talk about would be what prana is, at least conceptually, what it is and how we experience it. So prana is another word for energy. It's a Sanskrit word for energy or life force. And um, sometimes it'll be translated as breath as well. But it's what animates everything. And on its most basic level, prana is everywhere and it's infinite. Um, The concept is really important, this infinite part, because it points us to the fact that we can always recharge our prana, so to speak, and regain our life force or our energy. The other way to look at it would be we don't really need to uh, recharge prana because it is always around, but we actually need to let it flow properly so everything works as intended. So that's the other way you could sort of think about it. There are, there are some associations uh, with this pranic body, prana maya kosha, um, and usually, you know, in yoga, uh, especially in classes and in sort of the more kind of outer layer of yoga that everyone sees, prana is associated with breath. And it's because breath, breath is the one of the main ways we interact and take in prana. So every time we breathe, right, the prana is coming in and moving out naturally. Breath also moves prana within our body in various ways, and it causes a variety of effects. Um, and this is really essential because prana animates our bodily functions and also animates the mind and thinking itself. So there is no mind, there is no thoughts, and there is no bodily functions without prana. It is an impossibility from this way of thinking. Now, the other thing you'll hear this body and a concept sort of associated a lot with is emotions. Um, and since prana animates the mind, um, it makes sense on that level. And also the pranic body is also a kind of gateway into the fourth kosha, the wisdom discernment body. So often when we have our pranic body uh, balanced, will have more access to this uh, Vishnamaya Kosha, which is that wisdom body. And when it's blocked from, you know, not enough flow and clarity and balance in our pranic body, sometimes um, not being uh, able to accept, uh, access the wisdom body causes more uh, emotional reaction. So you have a couple things here, right? So you have the prana animating the mind and kind of Uh, in some ways controlling emotional responses Uh, and then you also have prana giving us the pranic body giving us access 
to the deeper koshas. And um, both of those will affect uh, how we respond emotionally, which is kind of interesting. Um, when you have people you're working with, you know, you're going to think, well, you know, prana animates bodily functions. Prana is responsible for all the things happening in the body, so I need to make sure that that's working well. And if you're having, if you're working with somebody um, with strong emotional responses or, or mental issues, um, often uh, working with the pranic body will be indicated. <clears throat> the way prana works is it moves in the body. You know, you breathe in, and it moves through energy channels in the body uh, called nadis. Uh, and the nadis are subtle channels that carry the prana to all our parts. And you'll see references to 108 nadis and the 10,000 nadis. Um, and these are spiritually significant numbers, as you may know. And what they really are kind of pointing us to, in my point of view, is the idea that the nadis are infinite, just like prana, right? So prana can move anywhere. Prana animates us and goes through past our nervous system and blood vessels. Sometimes people will say, oh, the nadis are the nerves, or the nadis are the blood vessels, the nadis. But really the way to think about it is, you know, you breathe in and you take in prana, and prana animates us, right? And, um, and it kind of parallels the Western idea um, of maybe electromagnetic energy or something like that moving through the system, right? Um, it doesn't move through these specified things like nerves that your body grows. Grows. It has more, um, more permeability than that. Now, in terms of these nadis, you know, depending on you know, if you work with certain nadis in certain ways, right, you'll get specific results. And that's really why we use this language. So the most commonly talked about nadis are uh, the idila and pingala and shashuma. So the idila and pingala are the left and right of your spine, or often they're talked about as like swirling around your spine, starting on one side and then looping around and ending on another side, right up towards your nose. But the simplest way to think about it would probably be left and right, either and pingala, and then your shashuma, which is the central channel of your body. So you can think about it up your spine. You can also think about it more like sort of in front of your spine towards your heart. So it's actually in the middle of your body. You know, these channels are fed by kundalini energy, which you also might know about, um, which is said to be located sort of at the base of the spine. So you have this energy well, and then the energy moves up. And when these are balanced, especially Italy and Pingala, um, we are in a pranic place of well-being. And when one is highly dominant, we're usually in a place um, where we have pranic imbalance, which leads to physical and mental imbalance. And when things are going like really well, these two, uh, the left and right channels, right, feed into the shashuma, and uh, that runs up the center of the body. And this can lead to spiritual insight and at times enlightenment. Most yoga therapy practices are concerned with balancing the left and right channel uh, for well-being. And then you'll see esoteric practices, uh, yoga practices, which are concerned with awakening the kundalini and moving energy up the shashuma. And it's important to understand how these are not the same thing. Like this is, we wouldn't work, right, towards what a lot of yoga practice uh, works towards, which is, you know, sending this energy up the central channel and sort of out the crown chakra and finding enlightenment as yoga therapists, right? It's our job to help our clients be well balanced and move towards achieving their goals. And 
this is not the, ex the exact same thing as the high-speed evolution that comes from yoga practices that are based on enlightenment. It's so often you'll, you'll kind of encounter right, different ideas about pranayama. And, and a lot of these pranayamas are originated from practices where there was a guru and the guru was trying to move people through spiritual evolution, you know, in a quickish way, because that's what they had done. And that's how they had got there, right? Um, but this is not what we're doing as yoga therapists uh, dealing with the public. If you have that knowledge, you would save that knowledge for students of yours who were interested in that particular thing. So you might even, I mean, maybe, maybe not, but you might even teach certain pranayamas right, in a class setting. Well, I really wouldn't probably recommend anything too strong, but for sort of general evolution, and that would be different than someone coming to you with, with a problem. So I just want us all to be clear on that. Um, now, generally, if we want to work on the pranic body, uh, we're going to work with pranayama, um, which is the regulation of the prana, right, through breathing practice. Now, as you know, because I know you've all done yoga, these, these practices can be very, very simple in terms of like the technique. Um, they are deceptively powerful, mainly because they change the way prana um, is moving in our body. And if someone's sensitive to this, that will be more obvious. If someone's not sensitive to this, it may or may not change the prana. So, you know, they could have no effect or they could have effects that they can't feel, which isn't always optimal. And that's why there's not really a, a one-size-fits-all prescription for the way all these pranayamas work. So it's gonna be our job as we learn pranayama and think about how to use it um, to really ascertain with our client through dialogue and observation um, whether the pranayamas are having the proper effect and uh, we need to adjust them accordingly. So we're not gonna sort of slam this thing like, oh, no, you just keep doing this and keep doing this and this is the effect it has and you will get better. It doesn't really work that way. There's a sensitivity that needs to be developed and it's also our job to kind of keep an eye of other um, reactions to the pranayama and we're going to, be wanna, we're going to want to look for um, certain reactions, right, to uh, the pranayamas we give them our, our prescribed thing. So for example, you know, if we're trying to use a pranayama to like lower somebody's heat and have them, let's say, feel heat in the navel region and not so much in the head, and we give them a pranayama to do that, um, and we're watching them and they're turning red and they're sweating or they're describing to us how they're feeling kind of, you know, a little bit intense from this pranayama, etc. it's our job to immediately be like, wow, that's not working the way they're doing it and adjusting. Now, generally, we'll be working um, with these pranayamas either to balance the doshas, right, about to put to kapha, or to regulate prana um, to help with disease um, through the five pranas, which we'll be looking at. Now, we'll talk more about the five pranas, but basically Ayurveda um, has sort of categorized all this, so there's different ways the pranas move. So just to be clear, prana is a general term for prana and for breath and how the energy moves through the body. And then also the word prana is also one of the five pranas. So um, you probably heard the, the other, another prana would be apana, right? Apana moves down, 
right? So prana moves up and apana moves down, right? That's one, two of the five um, <laughs> pranas. But you could also just use prana as a general term. So that's often confusing. So those are used interchangeably, which will drive you crazy till it doesn't. So you have the general prana, and then you have the pranas, right? Which are descriptions of how the prana works in movement. Now, we're also going to be looking at, uh, just so you know, uh, the main three bandhas, which you might have worked with in asana practice, um, and how to use them to regulate prana and promote healing. So that's how we will use them, um, as opposed to... Uh, sort of a physical uh, use of the of the bandhas in which we use them to engage muscle groups. So on a more subtle level, right, um, yoga, and I think this is the original use of the bandhas. The bandhas are there to regulate prana and to lock prana into certain areas of our body while we're working with our pranayamas. Now, <clears throat> since prana is everywhere, it would be kind of unusual that some sort of pranayama practice would not be useful. That said, not all people are able or interested or willing to practice these techniques. And so I want you to know that although pranayama is useful, um, other practices such as meditation and asana can affect the pranic body. Because the prana is everywhere, so other things will affect it. But usually, if we have the option, we will be going to the pranic body um, through uh, breath control. But there's some sutras that kind of emphasize, that was kind of interesting, you know, that you can get to it other ways, like asana. So you have uh, sutra 248. Um, so that, from that perfect, perfection of asana, yoga posture, posture, duality, such as reacting to praise and criticism, ceases to be a disturbance. And when... When this is acquired, this, this yoga posture that leads to less duality, pranayama naturally follows. And pranayama in this case is defined as the cessation of movements of inspiration and expiration. So the breath naturally pauses as we align ourselves. So that's another possibility that you can use asana to naturally stop the breath right, and the prana. Right, pranayama naturally follows. So in the Yoga Sutras, uh, in chapter two, which is our references to asana, right? this is one of the ways they're really thinking about asana, which is like another way to get to uh, stillness, um, which is key if you're really thinking about, you know, of course, especially the previous section we've been looking at, you know, asana to strengthen muscle groups and to stretch muscle groups and how do we move people. Um, but the other real beauty of asana, and for those of us who do a lot of asana, um, or I should say regular asana, right, know this, that you feel a lot more mentally still when you do it um, because it naturally affects the way you breathe and it naturally, therefore, um, if you're doing it properly, and then it naturally affects like the way prana moves through our body and helps us move towards stillness. So there are some uh, styles of yoga that are mostly concerned with this and are using this as a way, asana, as a way to go all the way in, right, and still the prana and therefore still the mind, kind of work through the koshas, like through that one thing. Um, I will say that in my opinion and experience that only working with asana 
right, is a much more difficult way to do this, uh, especially in that you will not find uh, for most people that they can get all the way there. So pranayama, for instance, moving down to the second kosha and using pranayama techniques, right, to influence the pranic kosha um, is much more direct, uh, much more elegant and economical in a way. So although we will use the physical techniques to affect the pranic body, you know, and the body beneath it, the intellect and the wisdom body, right, um, you're also going to have in mind, right, that uh, pranayama is a quicker way to go if that's what you're trying to do. I have uh, had a, quite a bit of success uh, educating and teaching pra people pranayama um, for a few things, uh, mainly emotional imbalance, um, hormonal regulation, and generally like resetting the body's natural ability um, to regulate itself like autoimmune disease. Um, <clears throat> it's also been uh, helpful for actually enhancing immune function in cases of uh, chronic immune underperformance. So if you're interested in either um, emotional uh, issues, which are, you know, such a large percentage of people's complaints, um, being too lethargic mentally or too rajasic or manic mentally, um, you know, experiencing too much anxiety or depression, you know, this body will always uh, be a main player. Um, and then the other thing you see a lot, there's just a lot of dysregulation, right? Whether it's hormonal or immune, which kind of makes you think possibly nervous systems involved. You're gonna think, okay, product body, I should like at least look at that and see what I can do in that area. You don't have to know a million pranayama. So there are tons of ways to regulate the breath um, and people have experimented with them in all sorts of different ways. But really, if you get a sort of foundation in the basic types of pranayamas and why you would use them in a therapeutic context, you're gonna use the same few all the time and actually just modify them slightly depending on your client. So you'll see that more than having to go to a, a new special kind of pranayama. That's generally, um, the way I was taught and the way I work in general is that, you know, it's more important to understand the purposes of things and how they work and then do slight adjustments than to have a million tricks up your sleeve. Sometimes having too many tricks up your sleeve is actually um, a little confusing and vata imbalancing for you as the practitioner because your toolbox is actually a little too wide. Um, Usually, if you're trying to balance the right and left side of the body, for instance, you know, you can work with one or two pranayamas over the years and just keep varying the little subtleties, how long, how long you hold the breath, how long you keep the breath out, things like that, as opposed to whole new pranayamas that you have to kind of interact with. But this was mainly to get ourselves sort of focused on like, what is prana? What is the pranamaya kosha? Why would we be working with it? And how would we be working with it? I hope you have an amazing day. Om Shanti, Om Peace. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode. Please subscribe, rate and review our show and help us share yoga therapy with more people around the world. If you think this episode will help someone you know, feel free to share it with them. If you love yoga therapy and meditation, you can follow us over on Instagram at breathingdeeplyyoga, where we share anything and everything to help you advance your understanding of yoga therapy and meditation. 
For more information about our yoga therapy and meditation trainings and programs, visit breathingdeeply.com. See you in the next episode.